Welcome into the Woj Pod, the trade deadline show. I'm Cassidy Helberth alongside uh, the man himself, Adrian Wojnarowski, Bobby Marks right. as well, and Tim Legler. Um, right. So the dust has settled. It's been a long day. We're not going to get into how, uh, how much you've you know, slept. We're just going to get into <laughs> first um, what didn't happen, because a lot did happen, but I feel like the headlines are what didn't happen. And obviously a lot of attention always circles around the Lakers. So let's start there. Um, Why didn't they make any moves? Well, you think of the two things that didn't happen, the one team and the one player, the Lakers and then DeJounte Murray in Atlanta. And they had talked about a deal. I think once D'Angelo Russell started playing so much better in the last few weeks, I think it took the Lakers out of that because they were really essentially looking for a third team to move D'Angelo Russell to. And he started to play so well the last month, the idea of uh, finding an upgrade, a significant upgrade on him, uh, Atlanta, it didn't make sense for them to take on Russell. So they don't end up doing that big deal. Uh, The the, the Hawks stayed with DeJounte Murray. They just couldn't find anything in the marketplace that they could justify trading him for when they gave up so much from the Spurs. It allows the Hawks to revisit this in the offseason. And now... For the Lakers, they get into an offseason where there'll be a whole lot more players beyond DeJounte Murray, perhaps difference makers available to them, because they'll be able to offer three first-round picks in a trade that could only do one at the deadline. The plan. The plan has screwed up the trade deadline, because you look at where Atlanta is in Chicago, teams that have played better of late, um, Zach Levine in Chicago, Alex Caruso, uh, DeJounte Murray, we talked about in Atlanta. You look at what Miami was able to do, get in, they win the play-in game, they get it to the eighth seed, they get right. to the NBA Finals. It gives teams more hope as far as pulling yeah. the plug right now. Yeah. And I yeah. think that the plan has kind of diluted the, the trade market a little so bit. So is that what you're thinking about the Warriors as well? I think Golden State's in a little bit of a different you – know, I think they think they still have a run in them. Yeah. I think they still think they have a run. It hasn't showed. I mean, there's been some – maybe a couple good moments here, but I think they – it's hard to break up the band. And, and they had a hard time believing they were going to have a better chance to win this season by trading out their underperforming players like an Andrew Wiggins or a Clay Thompson. They think there's still an avenue for them to play better. They get Chris Paul back legs. And that – I don't think this is a championship team. I don't think this is a conference finals team. They get in the postseason. It's hard – with the kind of seating they're going to get, it's going to be tough to get out of the first round. Uh, but I think as long as Steph Curry – wants to keep going and is determined with this group, they're going to maybe give it a little longer run than, than they might with another team. To echo both of what both of you are saying, imagine being Steve Kerr and Mike Dunleavy Jr. sitting there every night watching Steph Curry. Right. And, right. It's going to give you that illusion right. and that hope that like, you're still in the mix. Because, and last week with Kaminga finally. And this is the best stretch of his career. Yes. I mean, he's definitely taking a leap forward. They're actually now, for the first time since he's been there, they're actually letting him run a little yes. ball screen offense where he's the primary ball handler or like a two-man game with him and Steph and trusting him. He has put together a reel over the last month that has now made everybody believe, okay, he is going to take that leap because there was a lot of questions. He's still so young. When you have that and then you have Curry playing the way he does every night, you just still want to compete. And it's difficult because so many guys on that team are either hurt or having you know, career-worst years it's tough to believe that they're actually still in the mix to contend. But 30 gives you that belief when you watch them. Especially if you're an eight seed. Like, if, you know, if they fall into the eight seed, they'd be, they'd be the scariest eight seed 
in that they could be. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is that you would rather be the eight seed in the Western Conference than yeah. in the Eastern Conference because yeah. you get Boston, and then right. who yeah. knows? Who, I mean, who certainly if Denver. If yeah. Denver's at one, then that's a different well, animal. Maybe but the if you, Clippers or or the Clippers. Yeah. But if you get OKC or Minnesota, right. you're saying well, we got a chance. Yeah. You know, those yeah. young those teams that haven't really been able to advance or even play in a first round. But if we're talking about what didn't happen, right. your Chicago Bulls cast. So wait, so we can repeat this conversation for the last few years, right? Since 2021. What, why, why, first of all, they've been irrelevant for a while. And I, I don't say that lightly. Why? Where are they just stuck? Stuck from the Zach Levine injury? Stuck with the Lonzo Ball injury? The Lonzo I mean, it started Ball with injury? That. There was a window of a couple months in that first year when that group got together, when Lonzo Ball arrived, Alex yeah. Caruso, they were playing as well as anybody in the NBA. They were the one seed in the East, and when Lonzo Ball went down, right. it was as if, I mean, he, he was playing at such a high level. He made it, their defense. It, it all fit around him, and when he went down, you have seen it just over time now uh, uh, spiral. Yes. Well, what about Andre Drummond? Why, why didn't anything kind of— they, they want to win in Chicago. They want to be in the playoffs. They've seen him be extremely productive— and I think the idea of giving him up for a couple second-round picks when Bobby just said it, being in the play-in, I think Billy Donovan has done a remarkable job with that team. From, from that team that was, what were they, 4-15 and 15 to start? And to just sort of grind this team back closer to 500 with Zach Levine in and out of the lineup. With, listen, DeMar DeRozan's been terrific, but he's a declining yes. all-star player. And... I, I just think he's done a tremendous job, and I think they they want to be in the postseason. And again, I, that play in this is what the NBA wanted. They didn't want teams tanking; they wanted teams to hang in there. Um, so they're going to be in the postseason with this. And it keeps roster? and it, the play in also it, are, it is, keeps is, fans engaged yeah. longer. That's what it does. It's yeah. really for the fans. There's yeah. more teams right where the fan bases have to stay engaged and included because you never know. Hey. Just got to get in the top ten, right? And then you've got an opportunity. And that's, I think, with Chicago, they put that team together to compete. It's hard to just on the fly say, you know, kind of make up your mind. It's not going to happen. We're going to go total rebuild when you're still in the hunt in that play-in territory. We're talking about a rabid fan base here in Chicago that's just been kind of silent um, because of the how irrelevant they've been. But when you think also um, – a, a fan base who's really, really being heard right now. It's the New York Knicks fan base. And um, you can argue, you know, they, they may be the big winners of the day. I mean, Legs, what do you, what do you feel yeah, about Yeah, I'd probably put them at the top of the list. There's some other teams I really like what they did, too, that haven't gotten a lot of talk today. But the Knicks have to be at the top of the list because, you, first of all, this, 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 what they have done lately over the last four to six weeks, it's given you a, a renewed belief on, number one, how good they are when you pair that with the issues the Bucs have had defensively this year, with the fact they've made a coaching change midseason, and that's going to take time to take root, whatever Doc's going to have, whatever impact right. he's going to have, and then Embiid goes down. All of a sudden, you're looking at a situation where beginning of the year, we thought, hey, penciled in one, two, three, this is what it's going to look like come playoff time. So maybe you get Cavs, Knicks in the first round as a four or five. All of a sudden now, mm-hmm. you have teams like Cleveland and New York saying, wait a second, we might be able to host two rounds. Right. We could be the two seed. And so the Knicks go out and they just add depth, 
you know, they, they, uh, Quentin Grimes I like a lot. You just brought in a more, a more accomplished, polished scorer. Alec Burks can actually run ball screen offense and initiate. Yeah. Bogdanovich is a guy that guards and also stretches the floor. They just got deeper. They've got more yeah. weapons to go around Brunson and Randall when he gets back. You know, just, I mean, as late as last night, Philadelphia was trying to see if they could get both of these players, Bogdanovich and Burks. And they were out of it by last night, and the Knicks – were able to not only make this trade, do it without giving up a first-round pick, and you know this, the same trade they made with OJ and Anobi. They didn't give up a first-round pick. Now, they gave up two very good young players who had value, but the Knicks have kept their first-round picks to go do something big later, bigger later in the offseason or into next season. And what they did with this, they, they, what they wanted to do was, A, get two players who are starting-level players with the injuries the Knicks have, if these guys need to be spot starters, if they need to start for a stretch, they can do that. Yeah. But when you get your whole group back, these are high-level bench players who have postseason experience, played well in the postseason, and they are as deep. I, I know the Knicks aren't the their best two aren't better than the other best twos, right? And they, but beyond that, their roster is as deep as any. Hey, imagine being those two guys. What you just went through in Detroit, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the adrenaline and energy that they're going to bring to New York to be playing in that environment every night on a, on a team that's competing potentially to win the Eastern Conference after you know what you just went through in Detroit where you went all that time without winning a single game? So you're just going to get the absolute best of what both of those guys have in addition. You know, just the, the lightness in the air that they're going to bring to the locker room because it's renewed season for both of those players. And there was a concern with the minutes. And I know Tibbs gets yes. you know hated on, and it was listen when Randall and, and OG's out, you're basically forced to play your seventh best players, and you had guys playing 35, 40 minutes here. So now you swap out four guys, and only one of them was Quentin Grimes, who played mm-hmm. somewhat of a significant minutes for two players that now can come into the rotation here. And I just thought I thought they were the big winner. I thought Detroit. I don't want to call him a loser, but I thought maybe a year too late. As far as w- moving off. What is the plan there? What do you feel like the plan is for the Pistons right now with the moves that they made? Well, they're accumulating draft picks, right? There's nothing wrong with uh, but more second-round picks. They're, they're still low as far as – and New York controls their first-round pick mm-hmm. um, going forward here. It's about trying to get shooters around Cade Cunningham. And they've used Quentin Grimes as that first-round pick that they potentially could have gotten in a, in a, in a Bogdanovic deal. One underrated uh, deal yesterday, Simone Fontecchio. Mm. From Utah, terrific shooter, high IQ player. That's a good pickup for the Pistons. That's a good. I mean, role he's player. probably going to be starting for them. No. Yeah, he's he's going to play, and he's a restricted free agent. They have the I think they they want to be able to re-sign him, but I think they deserve credit. That was a smart pickup uh, for a player that the Jazz weren't going to be able to pay. I mean, Leon Rose was very busy. Like from OG to you know what happened today. Like the Knicks, the feeling around the Knicks is, is positive. It's like, when was the last time we felt that? Well, and the East is wide open. Yes. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it. And, and you have time to, if, if you do one of these deals in the West, and it's going to take you a little bit of to kind of figure out kind of who you are, but how it's shaped up with really, you know, Cleveland has played the best basketball. Milwaukee trying to figure itself out. Philadelphia going through. Then you've got Miami and Orlando, Indiana. Teams like that, they've done a nice job. And as Woj said, they still have all those first-round picks going into the summer where who knows if somebody becomes available here. Yeah, yeah and that's the thing, that when you look at the big market contenders who would, who would want... See, oh. This, oh, 
No. <laughs> this is this is uh this is what's happening. His trade yeah. deadline. His phone's no. always going to be going I'm gonna, off. I'm going to call him back. <laughs> um, but but the Knicks. Listen, you talk about you know the Lakers go star hunting or the Clippers or the Bucks. They don't have the assets to go get a big all star player who becomes available or who asks out for a trade. The Knicks can. They can decide what the cost is, how it fits with the group, what we have to give up. They're not trying to cobble together the assets because they've gassed them all to have a run. You know, listen, Milwaukee's done a tremendous job, John Horst has, of, of continuing, whether it was getting Drew Holiday and then getting, uh, uh, who else, Bobby? Bobby, Bobby, uh, Bobby Portis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and through, through the years and then obviously the Lillard trade, when you have a player like Giannis for that long, right. it, your window sometimes runs out because you've just traded all your picks to keep having veterans. Right. Right. So those teams, just by how long they've been contenders, they run out of assets. And so I think uh, the Knicks have them. And so they're set up for years to come to be very good. You bring up the Bucks. I feel like you know, ever since they traded Drew Holiday, though, they've been trying to refine that defensive edge. They got Patrick Beverly. Can you just break down on both sides, like wh- how that all came about? Um, unless you need to take something, let's <laughs> let's let's. Uh, what do you think about the the Bucks filling that? Yeah, that hole with, it, with Patrick it became so glaring to them. Okay, the difference between Drew Holiday at the yes. point of attack, right, and the, and the pressure he puts on when you come over half court. His willingness to fight over screens, right? The way that he can switch on the bigger guys and use his strength to root them out of the post. Like all of those things add up. And then when you bring in Damian Lillard, who we kind of ignored a lot of that end of the floor when he was in Portland because it was go get 35, that's your job on this team. Now it's like, wow, that's a pretty big difference at that spot. And I think obviously that became something that the Bucs knew. You bring in Patrick Beverly. Now, look, this isn't a Patrick Beverly of four or five years ago. No. That was irritating everybody that he played against. Okay, But he still is impactful on that end. He's also just juice and energy. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys, a lot like Bobby Portis, who I always say this about Bobby Portis in Milwaukee. One basket out of him, he's worth 10 points. The way that the crowd reacts to him. Yes. They're going to react that way to Patrick Beverly. He brings something to your locker room that's going to matter, that's tangible, that right now they need. They need some toughness. They need a guy to leave skin on the floor. The young guys in Philly loved Pat Bev. Why did Philly do this move? Here's why. They needed the three second-round picks to get Buddy healed. And so by trading Pat Beverly for one of those picks, uh, trading Jaden Springer to the Celtics for another second-round pick, and then the hope that they can get a point guard in the buyout market. Mm -hmm. There's a point guard in Charlotte named Kyle Lowry who may or may not— May or may not have some ties to Philadelphia. Yeah. Wait a Grew second, though. Well, isn't it guaranteed that any Nova guy has to end up in New York? Right. <laughs> they just <laughs> lost yeah. one, right? Yeah. Archie Diakono just left. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's not going to be bad karma. Right. They're, they're down yeah. one Nova yes. guy. Yes. They're yes. down yes. a Nova how, guy How, how in many New York? Nova guards can they have in New York? Right. Right. All of them. Well, Philly might get one. So I think there's the, the hope that they could get him in a buyout market. But they had to get a player like Buddy Heald who could come in, uh, you know, give them, you know, certainly some scoring, some offense. In the interim here, is they're trying to hold it together, and then when they hope, uh, Joel Embiid comes back. Um, what did you think of the Buddy Heald addition? Well, li- listen, this this team is taken on water. I mean, we, I think four and twelve without Joel Embiid here, they needed they needed shooting. Um, it's kind of one of those hedge bets where they keep, still keep their flexibility in the off season, and you get you improve 
um, as far as adding a shooter. Now, the interesting thing, and, and Tim could talk about this more, is that Buddy has struggled a little bit in Indiana mm-hmm. of late and kind of lost his role. They've used Ben Shepard more here, but they needed shooting. Um, you can put him with um, Tyrese Maxey. I think the goal is, is that hopefully you get him beat back and you're not sitting it in the playing spot and that you still have something left and you lose some size. You know, Marcus Morris, you lose some size here. Um, you make this move because you believe Embiid's coming back, right? Because he's... Yeah, you're, you, I don't think you can send the message that you're punting away right. the trade deadline. I, I think the, the Sixers know there's an inherent risk here that maybe they don't get Joel Embiid back. Mm. Maybe they get back a Joel Embiid who's limited and not himself, and they're not good enough to win. They understand that risk, and I think they just feel they have a window with this player. And it shrinks every time he goes into a surgical procedure, every time he has an injury, every time he runs up and down the court, the window just gets a little smaller. So they do take some risk here, but they are hopeful that they can get him back, that he's going to be healthy enough. They've got to just basically not try to take – they've got to avoid taking on a lot of water while he's out. It's not just Embiid who's been out. They've had other players out injured, but they're in a free fall right now. Can I take a look at this from the other perspective for a second, Indiana? Because they're a really interesting team to me. I don't think they're that far away. I really don't. And I thought Buddy Heald would would garner more value in return than he got. That was a little bit surprising to me. And what happened here, I think Benedict Matherin has made him expendable. Benedict Matherin is is a better all-around player than Buddy Heald. He's a better all-around scorer. His upside might be eventually maybe an all-star even potentially. And Ben Shepard, they like a lot. So they made him expendable, but I thought they'd get more in return. So you, you lose the catch-and-shoot aspect. They did just get Doug McDermott to replace mm-hmm. some of that, and he hasn't been playing a ton yeah. in San Antonio, hasn't done a lot. Maybe they have a bigger role for him in Indiana. I just, to you guys, I'm just asking you both, why wasn't Buddy Heald worth more than what Indiana got in return? And they tried for months. They had been trying for months to get some value for him and just couldn't get it. Mm. You, know, you know why, Tim? Because 11 teams are monopolizing all first-round picks. Mm. 11 teams have 75% of the first-round picks over the next seven years. And it's hard to come by. Those, those contending teams don't have the, that draft assets anymore. And, and you look at certainly like a team like Philadelphia, who was restricted to trade out of first be, based on what they owe. And then certainly had that Clipper one that they're saving for maybe in the, in the offseason here. It, it just becomes, you know, seconds are a little bit more valuable right now if you, if you have them um, uh, at your disposal. And, and he's a free agent this summer. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's a player that, and I think if it was a team about what it was going to cost to re-sign him, you know, he had a pretty sizable extension on the table at one point in Indiana that may not be on the table for him this summer when he heads back into free agency. Of the teams that are hoarding picks, what percentage do the Thunder have? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, listen, they've got uh, what, 21 seconds, uh, probably added one or two today. Um, they made a swap with da- – see, what Oklahoma City can do – Cassidy and, and the beauty of it, and we, you know, certainly the rules are coming in, and it's going to put a squeeze on teams, and, and eventually they're going to have to pay Chad Holmgren and Jalen Williams, and Shea's going to be up down the road here. Is that you can just basically recycle mm-hmm. players, mm-hmm. and I hate to say it, but if um, Josh Giddy becomes expense, mm-hmm. you got Casey Wallace. Mm-hmm. You just kind of add this young talent here, and Oklahoma City has a monopoly of of uh, you know four, yeah, fourteen first, twenty one seconds, and, and you don't have to hit on these picks. You just have to hit on a couple of them. And yeah. the ones you miss on, you move on, or the ones. But but when like you said when you get a case in Wallace, well, he is an inexpensive inexpensive player. When somebody else becomes more expensive, and you keep trading the picks, teams who want picks now, 
you just keep kicking future first down the road. So you're always in that position to be adding. And if you decide one day that you want to do a big trade, you can do that. If you decide you want to get after Alex Caruso, I mean, they could have gotten Alex Caruso if they were willing to just keep offering first. Mm. That's not how Sam Presti is going to do it. And again, you had a team in Chicago who weren't really valuing picks. They wanted players. They're like a bank. You want something? They go to the bank of yeah. Sam Presti. Like, yes. look at what Dallas did. They traded for Daniel Gafford. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a first to trade. So they said, you know what? We're going to do a pick swap with you in 2028. Could become a value, valuable. And we're going to give you a 2024 first. And if they're basically trading currency here. Yeah. The, Cl- the Clippers did it when they had to do the James Harden trade. They had to go think of all the assets Oklahoma City had from the Clippers from the Paul George trade. Right. They had to go back to them again do another pick swap with them to get a first to give to Philadelphia, right? And what happens with those pick swaps is if all of a sudden, in a few years, the Clippers are on their backs or the Mavericks are on their backs, all of a sudden you've got like this lo- another like lottery pick that you have, and you're going to hit on a few of those. Phoenix was doing that with Memphis. It is literally like borrowing uh, like these high-interest loans with these banks. <laughs> well, look, OKC actually got a living, breathing human. Um, not <laughs> sure how many, you know, if this is the same Gordon Hayward that we're used to. He's, he's been more injured than we, we've seen him play. But, um, you know, what did you think of that pickup, Legs? I, I, listen, I've always been a big Gordon Hayward guy, but let's, you know, this is six years ago since that injury. We know what he's been through. He's missed a lot of time. Yeah. The one thing he does do, if he can stay healthy, and he, apparently he's close to coming back, so if he can stay healthy the rest of the year, you're talking about now bringing in a guy that facilitates the proper ball movement. The one thing I've always loved about Gordon Hayward, he always makes the right read. He doesn't force anything. Everything he does is efficient. He's played in a lot of postseason games, a lot of, of big games. So that's going to help a team that hasn't really gone through this, what they're about to go through, right? They're, they're, they could potentially could be a one or a two seed in the Western Conference going in and having to play right off the bat a team like a Phoenix, or you might get Dallas, or you might get one of these teams with these loaded superstars at the top. Gordon Hayward can help at least navigate the pressure of the moment. The question is, is he going to play and stay healthy? Because if not, then obviously he doesn't help much. And they love their core continuity they have now in Oklahoma City. They didn't want to mess with it and do anything big. Marketing's name was coming up weeks ago. So this is what they did, and if Gordon Hayward stays healthy, I think he can absolutely be a, a valuable benefit to a young team. Yeah, they didn't touch any of their core players. You know, Davis Bertans, Trey Mann, guys that weren't part of the rotation. And if he, as Tim said, if he can stay healthy, great. If not, he becomes yeah. a free agent, right. and they look at their options. And they've created, you know, they have potential to have a, one of these max slots this offseason, and they've never really been a big a team that goes free agent shopping. But there is a little bit of this financial window, as I said, before these, these big, uh, big numbers start to kick in. And that's the way you can lure someone to Oklahoma City because it's, it's not going to be a place that a lot of the big-name players are going to choose just to, to – even if the roster's talented. And that's what Sam Presti knew. That's why he embarked on this rebuild. He has to draft those players. He has to trade for those players. You know, you saw him do it with Paul George when he was trying – to reshape that roster around Russell Westbrook when Kevin Durant left. Uh, but you have a window in these markets, and you hope that the players like you draft, like uh, Chet Holmgren, a player that you trade for when he was very young, Shea Gildas-Alexander, who became an all-NBA player, uh, an MVP candidate, that they are eventually, they stay because of the winning, whether they're from L.A. or New York, or that attracts them. What Sam Presti sells in Oklahoma City is winning. Hmm. And and I think that's what ultimately you can keep, you know, that's what keeps the groups 
even if it's together, even if it's not a, a glamour market. Quickly, uh, as we mentioned, Trey Mann, Davis Bertans going to Charlotte. Um, just can you just tell us a little bit more about the situation around Miles Bridges and, you know, why he ended up staying in Charlotte? Well, they talked with a number of a few teams on Miles Bridges. Uh, it is a complicated player to trade for because of his uh, history with the domestic violence charges. Uh, there's still a trial date pending. Uh, it's not simple, and it's not for every organization to want to do that. But if you were going to trade for him, you, you were thinking you probably want to have a willingness to re-sign him. That's a lot to – there's uncertainty that comes with that. He's been in Charlotte. They know him. Uh, I'm told that, uh, and we reported it last night, that he was very unlikely. They had decided they were going to keep him, and their goal is to re-sign him this summer. Just had back-to-back 40-point games. He has shown to be a very valuable player. And I think whether he's part of their future or not, if you re-sign him, now you have him under contract, it's a lot easier to trade him when he could become an unrestricted free agent when there's still a court date pending. Uh, but uh, he also had veto power. Rich Paul, his agent, he told Brian Winhurst earlier today that they weren't going, uh, because he had signed the qualifying offer, he Yeah, had he was on a one-year one yeah. contract, so he would basically would have been a rental. So if a team like Phoenix had enough to offer... You're going there for three months, and you have to basically get out in front of, you know, you, you, you have to sell your fans as far as what the messaging is, is going to be. And as Woe said, it's, it's, it's yeah. complicated. It's not just about basketball here. Um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about what the Mavs did um, because, you know, they're, they're an interesting team right now. Obviously, they, you could argue they have the most talented backcourt in the NBA. They had uh, P.J. Washington. Do you, do you like that addition? Very much. Both, yeah. both moves they made, Gafford and P.J. Washington. And it hasn't gotten a lot of talk today because some other stories that the Knicks did really kind of overwhelmed everything. But when I look at Dallas, and let's start with Gafford, first of all. Wizards are a mess, obviously. That might be the most hopeless situation in the entire league. When you right. just look at upside of the, their roster and just where they're headed. I mean, they don't even have a coach right now. Like, they moving Gafford out of the city. Out. But Gafford like, stands out. It's yeah, a guy he that he competes. He plays hard. Athletic. He's athletic. He's got more size. Dallas desperately needed that. And P.J. Washington, look, Grant Williams, I really liked when he went there. Wasn't fitting in. He wasn't making shots. He had lost confidence. Uh, he didn't have the defensive impact that I was hoping he was going to have. So you go get P.J. Washington. Similar, similar physical profile. P.J. Washington, just a little bit more, I think, of an all-around accomplished guy. And then Gafford gives them some size and athletic ability in the middle. I just think they got deeper and better in the front court. They went, Dallas went and got Daniel Gafford from the Wizards today. Yesterday, the day before, they were trying to get Kyle Kuzma in mm. a trade and ultimately couldn't get there mm. with Washington. Washington and Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, their front office, they were not eager to part with Kyle Kuzma. They love him being a part of that organization, the influence he has on the younger players, and he keeps them certainly more functional as they're going through this rebuild. He just signed a new four-year deal this offseason. Now, maybe down the line, I think I'm sure they're going to revisit that. Uh, but when Dallas couldn't get Kuzma, uh, they then pivoted toward P.J. Washington. They went back on the Daniel Gafford and got that size. But I disagree with you on one thing about it being hopeless in Washington. I think they finally have a direction in Washington. It's a rebuild, right? Mm. And they have they're, they're picking up draft picks. Listen, second-round picks in the Bradley Beal, Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, they didn't sign Bradley Beal to that contract. They didn't give him a new, no trade. But they inherited it. They had to deal with it. Uh, but you're starting to see them pick up draft picks. 
going into this rebuild, and they're building this. Uh, listen, they're going to bottom out, and they're going to rebuild it. These are two executives who spent a lot of time in Oklahoma City in their career. Michael Winger was with the Clippers when they rebuilt that organization around Kawhi, Paul George. And so uh, I, I think for a long time, the Wizards were where people fear the Bulls are right now, chasing the 8, 9, 10, 7 seed, stuck in the middle. That's where the Wizards were, and I think they made a decision. We have to set a course, but it's painful for a few years. Well, and you might be right, but it's going to come down to when it's a tangible asset, what, what these picks turn into. Because I look at Detroit, I look at San Antonio, and you go, okay, you've got a Cade Cunningham. You've got a Victor Wembanyama. At least you go, okay, this is what the ceiling of these players potentially could be. They don't have that right now. They have picks. They've bottomed out. Let's see what they yeah. turn yeah, into. Yeah, they're hoping their rookie hit, they hit on their rookie, Bilal Kulabali. Yep. who you've seen some flashes here, but, you know, if you had a disappointing year with Jordan Poole, um, you know, certainly Kyle Kuzma has had his good moments, but, the, you know, you have to have kind of that, you know, that, that foundational piece. Like, you know, you know, Indiana goes out and gets Tyrese Halbert. You can build around that. But just kind of real quick piggybacking on, uh, on Dallas, and I, and I agree with, uh, with Tim. I thought they were a big winner today just because you have to do everything possible with Luka. Yes. To continually put talent around them. And now they're, they're and the right kind of talent. Yeah. Right. Okay. And their their draft picks, they're, they're strapped, right? Like we, from a guy who's traded a lot of draft picks, mm-hmm. <laughs> they are strapped. Like there is nothing left in the kitty here. Right. But you know, you got uh, two guys that are on um, contracts with Gafford. Who's got, you know, three or four years left. And PJ Washington's got three years left. And you just, they're like, they're like a baseball analogy. They're like sixth and seventh inning relief pitchers. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Guy comes in, get three outs. You don't really talk about them, but they'll come in and, and, you know, certainly guys you can use in the playoffs or maybe, you know, not. And especially for a team that's been injury plagued all year here. Yeah. And, and, and I, I was told, too, that Luka Doncic was very enthusiastic about the idea of landing P.J. Washington. I think that was a little bit of a motivating factor that he, he was excited about the possibility of getting him uh, at this trade deadline to add him to this team to make a run. Um, okay, so. You know, deadline has passed, but that doesn't mean we can't see some notable names still get picked up. Let, can we just uh, quickly talk about the buyout market and the candidates? I know you mentioned Cal Lowry, but who are some other names that, you know, we could be seeing? Well, first, there's, so we have this new rule in place. This mm-hmm. is the first year that it's come in place with this new CBA. So if you're one of these teams that's in the apron, so if you're the Clippers or Denver, Phoenix, uh, Miami, these high spending <clears throat> teams, there's seven of them. You cannot sign a player that had a pre-existing salary of $12.4 million or more and is waived. So if Kyle Lowry is waived, you basically – the Clippers couldn't go out and sign him or, or Denver or – or, well, he came from Miami. Some of those teams. Same, same with Spencer Dinwiddie here. So it basically eliminates about a third of the field as far as these buyouts. And it's, it's a real – Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge three years ago, <clears throat> everyone went crazy when they went to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. This is the rule to kind of com- combat that here. But we're going to – we'll see players. You know, we'll see Kyle Lowry, certainly Spencer Dinwiddie, who's, yeah. who's likely going to be waived in, in, uh, in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. I think the Lakers will be a team to watch for Dinwiddie. We mentioned if Kyle Lowry gets, an ext- gets a buyout, uh, the Sixers, his hometown team, uh, certainly there's a great opportunity there for him. No doubt. Um, why, why didn't Bruce Brown move? I think Toronto just felt they couldn't get enough. Uh, and they have the ability because there's a, there's a unique contract, two-year, $45 million deal that he signed last summer uh, with the Pacers. There's a team option on that second year, so $23 million this year. That has a lot of value in the trade market for teams, either right, either to take on Bruce Brown to play for them 
or um, if you're Toronto, if you decide you, you know you wanted to keep him, I think they move him probably around the draft. But they just didn't see, I think, anything out there uh, at this deadline that made them think they might not get more waiting. You love having him around your young players. And this is a guy, certainly, who's a great influence on a group. So you don't mind having him for the next couple months. I would be surprised if he isn't in a trade either around draft night or the start of free agency. Yeah, value contracts, those guys who are they're kind of like the piece of the puzzles, right? You have your two max guys here, and then you have a player making $22, $23 million. This is how the new, this new CBA is kind of set up. Uh, legs, biggest winner today. It's got to be the Knicks. But I think when you look at all, a lot of the top teams did something. Right, because they're, yeah. they're trying to close that gap with what with, with everybody thinks is Boston has the most talented roster. People trying to close that gap. Right? Phoenix makes a move for Royce O'Neal. I think that's significant. Dallas adds a couple of guys. They're in the mix. Clippers already did it with James Harden, right? Um, Milwaukee really already did it by adding Damian Lillard. These teams are trying to close that gap. So I think there are a lot of teams that added pieces that don't sound like they're going to be a big deal, but it just helps plug a hole in the rotation. But clearly – the Knicks are the team that I think have moved this thing forward to the greatest degree, particularly when you look at this little vacuum that's been created at the top of the East that we didn't think was going to be there you know, a month ago. Because, but now we really have some concerns, I do anyway, about Milwaukee. I have some genuine concerns about them, and yeah. obviously what Philly's going through. New York looks different now. And you know, another team that didn't do anything today, the Cleveland Cavaliers. No one's been playing better in the league. That team is loaded. That team is playing great defensively. They've got size. I think they've got a chip on their shoulder. And we don't talk about them much in the East. Uh, they are going to be a force in this postseason. Not to mention the, uh, a trade uh, yesterday the Celtics made to add a yeah. little more depth. I like that, too. Like that Xavier Tillman, too. yeah. Um, any final bows you want to put uh, on, on the day? You know, I think Bobby said, I think the trade deadline is not quite what it's been in previous years. First of all, we had no trade demands around this time of year. Last year, you had right. Kyrie Irving, you had Kevin Durant. That changes it. Um, but I do think, you know, part of it this year, too, two of the big players moved in the last couple of months, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam. So some teams did their work a little bit earlier. Uh, but, listen, it's still one of the exciting days on the NBA calendar. And now, you know, you get into this all-star break and you come back from that. And you are on a stretch run with the playoffs coming real quick. Absolutely. Well, you did your work today, Woj. Um, <laughs> thank you, Bobby, Tim Legler. I'm thank Cassidy you, Hubbard. Cass. Of course, the Woj Pod, you can check it out uh, anywhere where you get your podcasts. And maybe a future episode, Bobby will name every single pick. <laughs> Not tonight. Across though. the league. No. no you, got, you got scrambled eggs up there, but I'm sure. Long day. Thanks for watching.